Welcome back to the Cyber Prophets, in the place where we help you prophesize the future of technologies. This time, we are going to go into a different topic related to Agile. During this meeting, I'm going to be co-host with Edgar Regalado. Going further, we are going to go to the expert in anything related to deep learning, machine learning, and anything of these technologies that are a little bit unexpected, that is Jinji Hashura. He lives in Poland, and he has developed different kinds of projects, especially in his university, and he's always testing new things related to artificial intelligence and wants to go farther in that area. Maybe you can give us some words, JJ. Yeah, hello, hello. It's very nice to, to meet you, and thanks, thanks for inviting to join this podcast. Yeah, so as Frederico mentioned, uh, my major interest is mainly AI and the topics connected with neural networks, especially on image and graph processing. However, outside of AI, I'm also very keen on learning new architecture stuff, connecting big system and also software solutions. And I guess this will be more connected with the topic that we'll be talking about today. That's right, JJ, and I would like to welcome you as well to our show, and thank you, Federico, for the warm introduction. And now, I would like to, well, we, the audience as well, we would like to know more about your experience, JJ. Can you tell us a little bit more about, for instance, what has been your experience with the Agile methodologies? So generally... I started working in companies pretty pretty early, so currently I have got like one year of experience in the corporation setting. Of course, I have a lot of student projects that I have tested many different method methodologies and also architecture patterns there. However, when it comes to the corporation, I'm currently working in a TomTom company. And in my team, we are currently working in a Scrum methodolo methodology. However, that actually changed because we started in Kanban and then we moved to a, towards Scrum. So probably I will have a lot of a lot of interesting things when it comes to comparing those two technologies because I have like hands-on experience on a Kanban, on Scrum, and also on a transition from one to another. Um, can you tell us why do you think is agile is so important, especially in the current war world? Well, actually, when it comes to Agile, it's all about, well, agility. And that means actually the speed and collaboration with customers. And I believe that's what actually business requires. So whenever you are doing something that is actually a new feature, I believe the Agile is a good place for this. Of course, it, it's, it's not like it's unrestricted. There are, of course, a, a serious restrictions of Agile that, well, you cannot apply it everywhere. However, in terms of most of the projects, Agile is a great, great way to go because it allows you to join your customer and iterate over the project and receive the feedback and go with the feedback and update more. And it goes like, like a ping pong, but it's very fast. And actually, you end up having something that actually customer wants. And I believe this is the great strength of Agile. Well, you have mentioned that agility is one of the main factors in Agile and that the speed of the deliverables is much faster. 
Do you think that this is like the most important benefit that companies can get from the use of Agile? Well, I think that's uh, the most strive for the benefit. Uh, however, I think the companies mainly rely on this collaboration between the client and actually the development team and of course the management team, because that's the most important. If you can fulfill the needs of your clients, well, that means that your product is project and products are going in a good direction, and that's everything that the company wants. And in your case, do you think that Agile has influenced in any way your life? Maybe change your way of working even at home when you're cooking or doing something different? Well, actually, from that's a tricky question, yeah, because you have mentioned also the let's say domains in which agile well <laughs> it's about iteration so you can think about agile in different different settings not only in it development for example there was some time in which i was doing my own planning planning of my students courses uh, of my learning following some of agile principles of course i, I wasn't doing those meetings because well there was only me However, I was trying to, to stick to those uh, two-week sprints. So yeah, at, at the beginning of, of Sunday, I was sitting and thinking, okay, this week, this of course two weeks, yeah, one sprint, I'm going to focus on, on this topic. And I was trying to set some, some let's say, backlog because uh, we, we call it backlog in Agile. So it's like a set of tasks that I'm going to cover in the sprint. And during the sprint, I was trying to, to keep this set of tasks. It had some pros but of course some cons because well sometimes i wasn't able to predict my my studies that some deadlines for studies i was forgetting them and it was like okay i got a deadline for studies so well i need to drop my my plan which is unacceptable when it comes to agile like this two-week plan and go to feel, fulfill the deadline so it was fun experience <laughs> it's pretty incredible that you actually found an application of the agile of the agile methodologies in your personal life uh, in the studies. It is actually a good example of how this management stuff can be used in our personal life. And now, uh, since you have experience even in, in, in using agile in your personal life, uh, and you have mentioned that you use Kanban and Scrum, and in your case, you like to stick to these two-week sprints in your personal life for your studies then maybe I can ask you, like, uh, have you tried different methodologies for your personal life? And moreover, what is your personal favorite Agile methodology? Well, that's very interesting because it's kind of similar to how I, um, how the work in my company changed because I started also in Kanban. So yeah, I picked up the board. I had three columns to do in progress done. And I was, whenever I, uh, some idea came to my mind, I was putting it in the to-do list. Then I was taking some task, yeah, putting it in the progress and focusing on completing it as soon as possible. So I think the biggest challenge anyway was the granulation of tasks. Because sometimes I was, I was putting a big task and I was like, okay, putting it and was holding on this in progress, which was fine. However, well, I wasn't seeing any progress then. 
Then at the next sprint, I was thinking, okay, maybe I should take a book and divide it into the chapters and take each chapter as a, let's say, one task. And then I saw my board and it was, there were so many tasks. And I was okay, I was completing some of them, but I honestly, I felt overwhelmed. So can't, I think that the granulation uh, between the task is very, yeah, it's very tricky. And I think it, it has, probably I should have spent more time thinking about it than, than I did. Yeah. However, actually, I think I felt the Kanban was like more suitable because Kan Kanban is like good when it comes to some unexpected task, like a deadline. Well, it shouldn't be technically unexpected task, task, but well, I'm the person who sometimes for, uh, forgets to, to put it in the calendar. And that's why that then can, can appear as an unexpected task. And well, in a, in a scrum, you technically shouldn't drop things. Whereas in Kanban, it's perfectly fine. You just put it into the in progress and, and go with, with your deadline. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting comparison. So I feel that Kanban is more suitable for for a daily life. It's more of unexpected things that, that appear every day. And yeah, Kanban has a way to handle those. So Kanban is your favorite methodology. <laughs> and going a little bit in a different direction, how do you ever try a different, let's say, another kind of Agile methodologies, I know that there is one that is called XP where you work in pairs, but let's say I have never seen anyone using it in their life. And I know that some people combine a scrum band, um, but maybe there are others that you have explored or researched. Yeah, actually, I think this, this question will, will close on the research because I haven't tried extreme programming. I heard of it. I'm using some, let's say, components of those like Tetrian development, which is very much stated by the author of of extreme programming as a as a key in this in this approach. Yeah, I think it, what was interesting for me was trying to use those agile techniques in the world of machine learning. However, it there was no, let's say, not too much research done on this topic, and I don't feel personally like this very idea strikes well to the machine learning project. However, I feel some some of the parts of Agile are important in, in any setup. So I feel like the thinking about the MVP is thing that is very crucial for machine learning pro projects as well as for, for normal projects. Because in machine learning you, you can also do it. You can develop your you can develop your project under a bigger set of constraints. You can choose for example the project to predict some some set of classes at the beginning, and then later on, if it proves successful, it will be expanded to the larger set of classes. Of course, this will be less complex at the beginning, and that's why the agile is aiming for. Because you can you can, for example, show it to the potential customer after this very first few iterations, in which you create the model that actually predicts this five classes and maybe the customer won't be interested at all in this one and then well you just drop it and and you don't waste more time however if you if he finds it interested he finds himself interested maybe he will invest more money and you will have more potential to actually hire people to, to help you with getting the best techniques in the place and now that you're mentioning that we can through the use of agile show our product to the customer and get like some sort of immediate feedback 
uh, I am wondering, is it possible to use these kind of agile methodologies uh, outside of the IT world? Let's say for some kind of some sort of projects like, I don't know, writing a book or, for instance, for marketing projects in other areas of the professional world. Yeah, I have heard and read about very successful uh, application of agile principles uh, in creation of startups. I think this is a, a cool example and well, a lot of people have heard about Lean Startup and a lot of people recommended recommend this, bo this book and this approach as the one that actually can lead your startup in the best direction. So in this in this example, you have a startup yeah, and you start from scratch and you don't know where are you going. So that's why the, the Agile can be the most beneficial there. Because you can try to do something small and yeah, try to find some ways to get a feedback and you will get some, some direction. Then you go some, uh, do something small in this direction and yeah, go to the, to the potential customers, go to some people who have more experience in the field that you are doing. And actually maybe you, you will get some completely different feedback and then you, you have also the potential to change the direction many times. And I feel that's what happens a lot in, in terms of startups. I heard a lot of cases of startups that were actually the idea was to develop one product. However, it ended up in being a completely diff different product. So yeah, I think the good example of this is, is Instagram. So it's, yeah, it, it wasn't supposed to be the way it was. There's a huge story about it with uh, the owner got some, some feedback from uh, his girlfriend. And yeah, that's why he set a new direction to his product and he ended up having the Instagram the way it is now. And yeah, without doubt, it is successful. And getting back to the IT topics, you mentioned that, for example, in machine learning, which let's say that it's not the best approach to use Agile. Do you believe that there are other kind of projects besides the same machine learning where waterfall is more useful or let's say a different approach that is not exactly agile? Yeah, actually everyone is against waterfall. However, I have found very interesting cases in which actually waterfall is the recommended way to go. So imagine a world of medicine in which you are developing something that, well, it can be a, it can be very dangerous in use. So in Android, you typically you, you have a lot of iterations. You can test your products. However, in this setup, well, it is dangerous and it can be severe in consequences. So you cannot go and iterate over, let's say, making experiments of people. You have to create something which is good from scratch. And I feel like this example is can be more suitable for waterfall technologies in which you have those experts and yeah, you create everything from scratch, design the test scenarios. And it's important as well. It, it is better when you have a known case in this part because uh, waterfall is also good when you have a known case that you know how to solve and well, you can go straight to the implementation of a certain product that, well, it cannot fail in this, in this part, you, you, in this way. You don't have to iterate because you know where, where you are going then. Well, you can go even with waterfall and get it straight away without additional iterations and overhead that yeah, Agile, of, of, of course, is, is good. However, it has some overhead in place. And when you know where are you going, then, yeah, go this, this direction, even pick waterfall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that uh, waterfall is still widely used nowadays. However, uh, situations and let's say very extraordinary situations such, such as the pandemics we're living right now uh, can lead to uh, are like the the start of a digital transformation or so there is a in, in some companies. So my question is, do you think that this these pandemics such as the COVID-19 uh, could benefit the use of Agile in, in the future? Well, pandemic is a, is a very extreme setup and what's the key characteristic of pandemic is the uncertainty that we have all over in the different businesses. And what's the, another key aspect of pandemic is that we have a lot of change coming in the world. That means that there will, there will be bigger need of a different type of product that we or we have in market right now so give an example of zoom we can see how much has, has zoom developed over the recent times because there was a huge yeah. need of it and yeah and of course that was like very interesting because zoom was having a lot of problems because of the security and many different cases that yeah so it had to de develop very rapidly in terms of the scalability of the solution, in terms of security, and also in terms of features. So yeah, I, I feel that Adra can can give you a way to create your product faster and yeah, get get those ideas that you think that can be potential in the world of pandemics, and yeah, get get your chance to start something new and something something great that can make it, make a change in the world that we are living in. It makes sense. But there is something that I have noticed, especially in the corporate world, that generally speaking, many companies they still don't want to embrace Agile as, as it is. Even large companies, I, I am aware that in some organizations, pretty large ones inside of their teams, they are still working in a waterfall mode. Why do you think that this is still happening, even though we predict that Agile is this, and we should use the Agile Manifesto. We have all these uh, certifications, trainings, and for over, I don't I believe that around 20 years, but still the companies are reluctant to use it. When it comes to companies, I think it's a bit a different setup than a startup. It's definitely a different setup. Because as a business requirement can change very quickly, a company can, be not ready to change as quickly as the business requirements. And there is, I, I found a lot of cases like that, that we have a business requirement. However, we are not able to develop and change the code that quickly. And there is another thing that comes to my mind and it comes to the, the position of the software architect. And this is a person who actually is responsible for the biggest changes. And those changes had, had to be, let's say, pre-thought and very they had to have to have very detailed specification of what's going on. Because sometimes when you make a bad decision in a design at the very early stages, it can have tremendous tremendous effect on the entire product in a in a future stages. And it may lead to the situation in which one decision of some architect in the past 
can cause tons of refactoring that have to be done in the future mm -hmm. to make this product great once more. And this is, uh, let's say, one argument that can say that, well, you need to think more at the beginning. However, the business, of course, needs to develop ideas faster to change under the customer. So there is some, let's say, conflict between Agile and the architecture. Yes, uh, and I totally agree with that. Like one simple decision from the software architect can do can create a lot of technical debt and a lot of refactoring in the future. In this sense, um, I would like to ask you, JJ, from your experience, how could companies be ready or be more ready to adapt to agile technologies and leave behind the waterfall ones? Okay, I think this, this topic um, very much concerns the process of transition from, from the world of waterfall and different methodology to Agile. So I think that how we started is because typically the Agile consists of, of two, main, uh, two main parts. You got those set of meetings and ceremonies that have to be followed or most of them have to be followed when it comes to, for example, Scrum. You got a review, you got retrospective, you, you got a planning session and the backlog refinement in which you evaluate uh, what task has, has been already put in your, let's say, to-do list or your backlog. And the other thing is the team setup, uh, which probably in this case, the company is not ready for. Because the Scrum team, for example, has very specific setup. There is a product owner, person who communicates with the customers and is responsible for the entire product. And there is Scrum Master, the person who is responsible for communication between the development team and the product owner. However, this, the topic of Scrum Master is sometimes taken freely by the companies. And I, I have experienced myself working without Scrum Master, without, uh, with only product owner, without Scrum Master in this setup. Wow. It, it can be done in this way, of course. Uh, however, it has, it has some, some drawbacks. Because, it, because the team needs to communicate directly sometimes to the product owner. And it's good to have some someone who can actually see things that team is not, not always seeing and not always willing to see because of because of many reasons. For example, because of the speed of delivery that, that covers the full capacity of the team. So I would go with, uh, for the good beginning, I would go with trying to develop it's uh, the set of ceremonies and try to iterate over those ceremonies because sometimes, you know, you will feel that you need more planning. However, later on, maybe you will start thinking, okay, we got, we got a lot of things planned. We got a lot of items. However, items are not ready to be taken. So for example, a person who created the item perfectly knows what's going on. However, well, it's not only, not only one person working the team. So it, it may happen that this person is occupied with, with other tasks. And yeah, someone else has to take this one. And that's when you need more backlog refinement sessions. And of course, you got those, those sessions that summarize and give the common knowledge inside of the team, which are the review sessions and retrospective sessions, which actually are those in which you can improve the world, the inner working of your team. So it's, it's very much focused on people. So yeah, I, I would go with definitely with trying to to use those meetings and 
yeah, perform as many of them as, as you can. And the team setup is not is not uh, initial requirement, I would say, to, to start using Agile. Now let's go a little bit in depth because before you just spoke about software architecture. One of the best books in software architecture is the one about software architecture for developers. In this book, you will speak more about C4. And this is a very good technique that people use or is starting to be used in the agile world. What can you tell us more about C4? Yeah, so in general, C4 is a way of documenting your, your design. And it consists of four key parts. And there is a cool thing about it, which actually, let's say, the one part, we start with the, the first part, which is the first C. And it's about the context level. In this diagram, we specify the people who, who are using our, our system, and we specify external dependencies to our system. This one gives a great big picture. And I would say it's required to go with any C4, C4 approach that, that you are doing. Then if you zoom into your system that you are developing, you go into the next C, which is containers. And containers are in general separate units that you will be deploying separately. So you divide in this diagram, you take your system and you divide it internally into set of containers that will be developed independently. Then if you want more in depth into the system, of course you can stop at this point. If you feel that well, you need, it's enough for you to begin with only the big picture and the deployment structure, you can stop at this spot. However, if you want more detail, you can zoom into the containers and actually see the component structure, which is more or less like, like some packages or modules that, that group, group your code into more logical parts, however, are developed together. And there is a fourth C, which is actually a zoom into your component. And this one is the code level. However, actually, I would say it's, it's rarely used. So the key three are context, container, and component level. You can, you can use as many of them. However, using the, all of them gives you the full picture straight from the big picture to more and more details. To, to be honest, NJ, this is quite a new topic for me, C4. So I, I would just like to confirm with you. Mm -hmm. you. You said that C4 is for the creation of documentation, right? For documenting your design. Yeah, so in general, it is kind of similar to UML because you have also some kind of components like, like UML. However, I would say it's kind of simplification that gives a very good diagramming tool in terms of the communication. So you start with this, with the context diagram in which you, you just create some, some people and yeah, your system as a box. And then you create containers as the other set of boxes. So even notation isn't very, uh, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And, okay, you, you have mentioned that C4 is because they ha you have four levels. 
context, containers, components, and code. But uh, for me, as a software developer, this looks like uh, like a lot of work to be creating all of these uh, all of these diagrams. Do you think that there's like one particular diagram or one particular level, let's say, that it's more important or that will give me like a better perspective, and I will not need to go and zoom into the other levels? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I think uh, it's connected to what I have mentioned some level that you can actually specify the number of levels that you want to zoom into. So it's, it's always good to have a context diagram. It typically doesn't have more than a few components. However, it shows you how your, your system is doing in the current environment of the company. From my personal experience, I think the, the very key one and very important one is the next one, which is the container diagram. Because outside of the deployment units, you also um, specify technologies that will be used in which, in which unit. So it gives you some additional information. When it comes to, I, I think that I can even refer to one project that I was doing like some time ago, in which I only stopped at this container diagram and it was perfectly fine for me. And what was cool about this project is that as I created those four diagrams, I didn't have to be honest, any needs to actually change change too much in those diagrams. So this means that actually the not only the vision that I was creating was let's say more aligned because I was making changes. However, that means that the C4 shows the very good idea behind the code and communicates it well. Mm. Um, why do you think that people prefer now, let's say, more C4 than UML. What is your perspective about this? From my point of view, I feel like C4 is actually telling you a story about your system. So you start from the way that people are using your system, then you go into some more depth and, and you see how your system is physically deployed. And if you want to, you go into more depth and you can see how your system is logically divided. So yeah, this concept of zooming into the components, I feel like it's very natural. That's the thing that UML doesn't have too much, or it's not that much specified in in the approach to, to UML. So I feel this thing about the story that your system is actually telling with this set of diagrams, well, it's cool. And I would say it's very good because I, I feel the C4 like some kind of simplification of UML that you extract the most important from the ideas that, that are in UML. I wouldn't say that it's always enough to stick to C4, but I would say it's a very good place to actually start your development of any project that you are starting and you don't know where it's placed in the current environment. However, it is also very good to making changes in, in the system that you are currently working in. I have uh, had some experience in actually making changes with C4 diagrams. So at the very beginning, we made some exploration, of course, of the system, and we sketched uh, the change that we are making to the system into the C4 diagram, and then presented it um, to the architects to validate if it's, if it's fully correct. And actually, this one wasn't like 
a true truly C4 diagram because it combines some sequence diagram with C4 approach. Because it typically C4 doesn't have uh, those uh, let's say sequence approach in which uh, you pass some message to one component then to another. However, our, our diagram had it, so it it was very nice extension. And yeah, I feel also that sequence diagrams are something that UML has, C4, C4 diagram in its base doesn't have. And UML is very, very good extension then for C4 diagram when you want to actually focus on this sequence part of your system. Well, uh, Jinji, this, this topic is really interesting for me. And I have right now two questions for you. The first one is, um, I would like to know more about your experience. You said that you developed some diagrams uh, using C4 and that the containers uh, level was good enough for you. And uh, um, maybe you could tell me a bit more about like what was this project about? Was it backend, frontend, or was it like a complete system? Or could you please elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think I can. I, I can uh, give you more specific specifics about this project because uh, this one was done mainly for my personal uh, development. And in the scope of this one, I was creating a chat application. So many the front-end part was done in React or is still under the, the development process. And the back-end part was mainly uh, done using Java and Spring Boot technology. Um, so in this one, I feel that the key part of the system was actually visible on, on the container level because outside of the technologies that, that I have already mentioned, uh, this level also focuses on the messaging between between components. And of course, when it comes to chat, chat application, the messaging part is a crucial one. So after the first iteration, because I created it in more or less uh, MVP way, not fully Scrum, but yeah, I had an MVP in mind when I created the first one. So I used active pooling, in which the front end was asking every five seconds, should mm -hmm. I get new messages? Should I get new messages? Should I get new messages? Yeah, so as you may ex expect, this one was good enough to make the MVP work because the goal of the MVP was um, actually to have the messages going from one user to the other. However, when it comes to the second MVP, uh, which is um, test scalability testing, which is connected with scalability testing of the solution, uh, I started to develop another protocol. And yeah, so this is the part uh, on the C4, uh, which connects actually to, to containers. And in this, in this way, I created, um, I developed the WebSockets, which are currently, let's say, some kind of uh, the recommended way to go with uh, live streaming of your data. And this, this part actually, I think that, well, uh, it doesn't make a lot of changes in C4, however, yeah, I, I am still iterating on this project, so I, I will so, soon maybe give you some some more interesting details because I'm I'm waiting uh, really uh, to see the results of the scalability test, which probably will be taken at, at the end of of this week. So yeah, I, I feel that C4 was, was a cool way to start this project. 
Uh, I, I think I have tried even some, some different approaches because uh, this one I'm developing also in the domain-driven design architecture. And yeah, this one probably will have also a CQRS pattern in it. So yeah, that, that's basically the, the idea behind the, the project and yeah, how C4 was useful for me to actually begin, begin it. Well, I can see that this is a big project for you and we will be proud to hear more about it in our next interview with you. And I mentioned that I had two questions, right? So the first one was to get to know more about your experience. And the second one, uh, you mentioned something that really caught my attention. And it is that you use sequence diagrams, something coming from your email, with C4, with a C4 approach. So does this mean that UML and C4 can be, to some extent, uh, interchangeable or can they cooperate together? Yeah, I'm definitely a huge fan of this approach because how I see C4, C4 mainly covers the structural part of your design. It has some parts that, that also um, cover the dynamic part because you can see uh, what does the user want and yeah, those parts. However, when you need something more, because C4 is like kind of more simplistic, it's tricks to actually what, what you need to begin. When it comes to UML, it's more complete. So I would say I would start with CML. And if I feel any need to go more in, in depth into some part of the system, like, um, for example, I feel that I, I, I need to know how those uh, objects interact with one another, then I'll, maybe I will go with the sequence diagram. It's, it's very commonly used. So outside of C4, I, I would definitely recommend sequence, sequence diagrams as the way to go. And I'm thinking if I can give any, any other example of UML diagram that was for me particularly useful outside of the sequence one. But actually, I don't think that anything comes comes much to, to my mind at, at this point. So yeah, there, of course, there are some crazy UML diagrams which are which are used in, in a very, very specific cases. But it's very good. You got, you got a complete idea, which is UML. And you get very simplistic, very easy to work with C4 diagrams. Well, thank you very much for this explanation, JJ. I will surely start using C4 in my own diagrams. And now back to you, Federico. You can go. Now, what would be your approach to encourage people to persuade them to start using C4 and let's say move a little, move a little from the because I will say that in the corporate world, you have two extremes, either the random diagrams or the more or less UMLs. How would you introduce it? What would be your approach to persuade them? Well, when, whenever it comes to any approach, I feel it is important to start the discussions about it at the very high levels of a company. Because if you want to create something that is consistent, you need to start discussions among, among architects to find the consistent approach towards the problem that you are actually trying to solve in this way, the, the documentation of your code. So I feel, I feel that's how it started in, in the case of my company. We had some discussions among architects. We had some agreement that we need to do better when it comes to documentation of code because it is the process 
very often omitted in the development because typically the documentation is a very end stage of the process and well in an agile world it often comes to the to the moment when well you need to switch and drop everything and switch to another project and it's often that the documentation is left behind so developing very complex solutions in this way i wouldn't be a huge fan of it because well you have to think about agile that you are doing in your project in this in this case also that you don't have too much time to do the documentation that's why i would i would start this discussion very at very high level because some architects may have even some better ideas or some some combination of ideas however i, I would try to en enforce some some kind of policy that will make the consistent use use of the documentation Mm, yeah, because let's say that one of the principles from Agile is that is working software over documentation, and that I would say is one of the biggest challenges to document every anything in general in the current environments. Um, I'm thinking about it like because in the beginning you said that machine learning is one of those areas that well, Agile is not like exactly the best friend of this, let's say, of working with Agile. How about C4? Do you think that there are some restrictions? Because in, in, nowadays we have backends, frontend, machine learning, mm, full stack, and if we carry on with every single option, we might never finish. Do you think that there are some restrictions, that there are some areas of software development where C4 should not be used? Hmm. Actually, I haven't thought about machine learning. However, when I think about it now, well, machine learning also has some architecture. Well, actually, to be honest, everything has its own architecture. And in a way of machine learning, it's, it's mostly pipeline one, in which you actually focus on, on getting data from different sources. So yeah, that, that's something that you can, of course, put at your C4 diagram, because you have a lot of those ex external dependencies that you take your data from a different systems. Yeah, machine learning model is also a different service. So in this case, you need to deploy it in a separate container. You got some components inside of this machine learning model. So you can perfectly use C4 to actually show how you want to integrate this solution into the company ecosystem. And yeah, leave some, some bigger idea behind you. I, I haven't seen anyone using this this one in, in machine learning. However, that, that can be actually an interesting way to wait to see. Jenje, you, you mentioned before that you use uh, C4 for your own personal projects for this chat application that you were creating. So in this sense, I can infer that freelancers or self-taught developers can, can actually benefit from the use of C4. But do you think that C4 can be also used in the corporate world, like in big companies? Will this be beneficial for them? Yeah, I feel like it's, it's the, the best place to actually use C4. To starting with your project is a cool way to actually utilize C4. However, to make changes in the world that is actually living and it's very complex in its structure, there are some, of course, challenges when it comes to that because I have seen some people trying to create some, some bigger diagrams of the system that I live in 
and those are very hard to read. However, C4 you know, makes some focus on the system that you are currently developing. So that shouldn't be that complex in the end. And yeah, yeah, I definitely highly recommend to use it in, in your system that you are currently working on, even over the, the system that you are even starting. So there are no limits of, of using this approach in, in the system that are ones that are on market for a long time. Um, going in a, in a different, let's say, direction, we're living in, world, in, in a new world that everyone wants to get a new certification. This is like something, I will say sometimes insane, that people need to have three, four, five, seven, ten, fifteen certifications every year. And it's something that, in my opinion, has become a little bit crazy in the corporate world. Does it exist any C4 certification for the people who are in this competition in the race of getting the latest certification? Hmm. That's interesting. I, I haven't heard about it. Of course, there are a, a lot of conferences and a lot of talks that actually give you a broader understanding of the C4. So the author is uh, Simon Brown. And, uh, he gives a lot of speeches and the most, let's say, current architects that are creating some some presentations I, I use for example O'Reilly platform to, to to watch the presentation about architecture and I hear about C4 a lot so I believe it, it may soon be a you know, very promising technology that may be very widely used in, in the industry very soon and I feel that it will substitute UML in, in some applications of course However, when it comes to the formalizing, maybe it, it, it still needs some, some more time to actually make the, the technology itself more mature. However, in the way it is um, created now, it's, it's very useful. And probably even, even it may be like very close to being a complete one. I, I am very glad you talk about the timing because this is uh, something that we would like to know as members of these cyber prophets. We would like to prophesy about what's going to happen and what's going to happen with Agile and with this new methodology that is called C4. So as I was telling you, this is quite a new concept for me. And I think it's just like kind of taking off now. So do you think this is just like some sort of bubble or is C4 here to stay? Well, I, I feel I feel like there are a lot of new approaches to architecture that are currently taken taken on. However, when you take let's say a closer look into the architecture that is being taught right now, it very much focuses on the principles that have been known for a long, longer amount of time. So the base approaches are not changing too much. However, tools and technologies are going into being more personal to the use of of the architects and actually are using more psychological ideas so for example quite recently they have been introduced the architectural katas which are actually the way to test your architectures to to make some exercises over the architect over the architecture because in general it is very hard to exercise the architecture so it it takes this problem into into account so I don't feel like there will be a big shift when it comes to 
the architecture itself. However, I feel like there will be more tools that can actually be more personal to use. Mm, um, in your case, let's let's try to go a little bit more in the agile perspective. Do you think that C4 is going to be, let's say, closely related to everything in the future with Agile? Or do you think that there is going to be a different direction in, in these two worlds? Well, technically, Agile says that it prefers working code over comprehensive documentation. However, when it comes to C4, I wouldn't say it's very comprehensive documentation. It's very good documentation. However, it doesn't take too much time to develop. That's why I feel the C4 can actually maybe even fill this space in an agile that some people need for, for documentation because of its of its bigger simplicity over UML and more structured structured way of actually developing. Okay, I'm seeing like right now the, the direction that you or the vision that you are giving to us. But just to make it clear, I would like to specifically ask you, like, what do you think that is going to be the usage of C4 in, let's say, like five years from now? In five years from now, I think that the best usage of C4 will be very similar to, to the one that's actually being used right now, but it will grow in popularity because there are a lot of people who actually spread this technology all over all over the world. So despite the fact that you may not have heard about it before, yeah, I feel that it may require some somewhat standardization like UML had, and it will actually be more open to people or m more well-known because I think there's that's what currently C4 is lacking. Because whenever I hear someone about uh, who has started with C4, he's thinking, oh, it's, that's a cool technology. I, I would very much like to use this one. So I think this, this is the way to go C4, to actually to spread the idea behind C4 diagrams all over the world. And I feel that it will get into the new project and of course also into the existing projects as the way to actually create an architecture. So you have heard it, folks, and all, for all of our listeners, C4 is here to stay. It will probably grow in popularity and it will definitely go through more standardization. These are the prophecies for Agile and for C4. And now I would like you, thank you all for listening to our show. Thank you very much to our guest, JJ. It has been a real pleasure to and actually enlighten us about Agile and how they develop in the Thanks again, Federico, and we'll see ourselves in the next show of Cyber Profit.